Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Today, I have Sean joining me. Hey, Holden. Thank you for having me on. My name is Sean, and I am an alcoholic. Um, I have just over seven months sober, and I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. Awesome. I'm glad you came and joined us to talk to everybody. Um, me and Sean actually met in the meetings. It's been about two and a half, going on three months that we met. We actually developed a friendship outside of the rooms, but for those two months, um, we developed a really good friendship throughout the fellowship and being of service to each other. Um, and I know there's a few steps that actually stick out to Sean more than others, so I wanted to have him come on here and elaborate a little bit more on what he um, goes through in his program. I would love to. Thank you, Holden. My favorite steps, um, again, I'll, so I'll answer this. Um, I know this is kind of funny. I'll answer this in two parts. Um, the first part about that I have to talk about is steps one through three. Those were the steps for me in the beginning that really were hard because coming to terms with being an alcoholic, A, wasn't easy, and B, coming to terms with the fact that someone, something, some, someone out there had control over my life instead of me um, was really a shock to the system. So after working through steps one through three with my sponsor, and after it was broken down to me that the whole control thing um, is a, a character defect of mine, um, and just like probably many other people, was, was very settling is very peaceful knowing that I didn't have to be control of everything all the time so in the beginning steps one through three um, to me stick out the most now fast forward um, working through the steps with others working with others on what they're going through talking with other people engaging in the fellowship talking with other alcoholics and other people um, even outside of a 12-step program, the steps to me that have really kick-started or jump-started, I should say, or given a shock to my program has been um, working with other steps, you know, 10, 11, and 12, relying on myself and my higher power to be of, serve, be of maximum service to other people because that is my primary purpose. My goal in life is to be a be a better person for myself for my family and for other people all of god's children so step so i know like you're saying the control part i mean you're probably like me as i've gotten to know you we are major control freaks so steps one through three actually were very difficult for me as well just finally admitting that something in my life something that i thought i had so much control over was absolutely completely out of my control and completely unmanageable and so steps one through three took a lot of swallowing of pride to finally admit um as well as uh, like you being of service to others um really assisted me it is still assisting me along with my own program being able to see other people struggle and just a small helping hand to those individuals and putting a smile on their face shows you that what you're doing was worthwhile even though it only took an hour or two out of your day yeah, I think that's a huge part of everyone's program, especially the people that you and I come into contact with. Um, you know, there's not a single person that um, today I wouldn't um, want to be of service to or try and help in some way. 
um, because I want to see other people get better just like, you know, how I'm getting better, how you're getting better, then, you know, they do that for someone else. And it's just this beautiful chain reaction and to, and to watch that and to feel that um, we're, we're trying to take care of, of others just how we were taken care of. You know, my sponsor, you know, picked me out of a point of desperation, you know, at a point in my life where, you know, I, you know, this was the last house on the block and he he didn't have to, you know, no, other people don't have to. Yeah, I mean, same way with my sponsor. I think he he kind of observes me for about a week before finally realizing that I just needed help. Um, it was, I was desperate for the assistance and getting through this program. He saw my struggle with um, having the prejudice against the higher power. And he just wanted to reach out. Because the thing is, even though for me, I'm only 67 days in of sobriety, seeing that newcomer walk in that door struggling, and even with 67 days, they look up to you. And they see what you have and they want to obtain it. Because when I walked in that room of like sadness and like resting bitch face, <laughs> like you could see the people in the room had such joy, happiness. And you're like, holy crap, like if sobriety is this damn good, like I want this too. So absolutely. Um, that for me in the beginning, that was really kind of mind boggling to see the other people who I was thoroughly convinced were exactly like me and to have a smile on their face, to be laughing, joking, you know, engaging in fellowship even after. Uh, meetings and to see that you know that just kind of sparked my like how the hell did you get that when you know like we have so much in common um, and in the beginning like I was I wasn't looking for things in common too you know I didn't really know what to expect um, all I knew is that you had something that I wanted you know and then my sponsor broke it broke that down for me and he's like he's like do you believe what works for uh, works for me will work for you and i was like well it must because you're happy and have a smile on your face and i'm over here shaking right yes i think the breakdown especially of the big book um is super important i mean i tried reading the big book on my own and nothing kind of hit home with me until my sponsor sat me down sat me down and kind of just broke down those chapters so i mean i know that service is super important to you but i know that the keeping in conscious contact uh, step 11 um, maintaining the conscious contact with your higher power, like how do you keep make that a habit in your everyday life? So two things. First thing is in order for me to have a conscious contact, I have to be spiritually fit. Um, the way that I do that is by, you know, just like it says in the book, perform God's work well. And like, again, like I said before, that's my primary purpose is to perform his work, you know, and allow that to go through me to reach other people. And that in and of itself is a form of constant contact. So on top of that, Making a regimen in the beginning, you know, any advice I have for other people is I always tell them in the beginning, make it regimen because it will become a habit. Things will improve. And those th those two things will start to link up with each other. The habit no longer becomes tedious, right? The regimen no longer becomes tedious and it becomes something that you look forward to, you know, saying your prayers at night and then starting your day off in the morning, meditate, make your bed, right? Yeah, I know my sponsor forced the prayer on me. <laughs> um, but I do want to let the listeners know that the the word God, um, me and Sean, I, I mean, I know at least we use this term as in a generic basis just because it's an easier term to format into your prayers and everything. Because I know personally for me, my own conception of God is not a Christian God. Um, Sean, I mean, is yours a Christian God? Mine is, um, and that's just because, the. I mean, I, I never really had an issue with the whole God thing. Okay. Um, just how I was brought up, 
and just my own personal beliefs. But again, just to kind of mirror what you said, um, this is a, it's not, this isn't about religion, Mm -hmm. you know, spirituality and religion are two different things. Um, religion has labels, spirituality, every single one of us inherently have a, a spirit. We all have that conception of God in each and every one of us or a God, a higher power. That is very true. I mean, I know my higher power, um, for me, at least I think is the power of the universe. Um, I've always believed in like the law of attraction and what you can put out into the universe is kind of tenfolded back to you. It's the verbiage that you use. It's not if I get sober, it's when I get sober. Right. It's not if I hit 10 years, it's when, um, because you speak that into reality. So going back, like, of course, explaining the, your own conception, I know my sponsor forced me to pray. It was a morning prayer just saying, thank you for letting me wake up. I mean, it was a simple prayer um, in the nighttime is thank you for keeping me sober another day. Um, I did that for, I would say like two weeks solid, two to three weeks solid. And that habit started building. Yes, sometimes I'll forget my morning prayer, rushing to work, which is okay. The thing is, I've heard somebody in the room say, poop and pray. The thing is, many of us do that in the morning or at least a couple minutes and it works and we can get paid while we do it. Take that few minutes. Get off of Instagram. Get off of Facebook and say a 30-second prayer. That's all it takes to keep that conscious contact for your morning prayer. So, yeah, I mean, do you have anything else to touch on when it, keeps, when it comes into the keeping the conscious contact? Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing is, um, so before I get to that, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to touch on um, when referring to the whole God thing is, um, I, for me at least, I, you know, I can't speak for others, but for me, I had to, I was at a point in my program and I'm pretty sure it was right around three, four months in where, you know, I was sharing on something and somebody told me like how, uh, I forgot what you said, how, uh, arrogant of you to say what you just said, um, about the whole God thing. And I kind of got a little angry and, you know, and then, and then this person began to break it down for me, um, after being led to believe my whole life, all the prejudice and stuff, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, after being led to believe all these things about a, a specific, um, God or a specific religion, you know, this is right, this is wrong, whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, like God is the creator, whatever God you choose, you know, you know, that deserve deserve some kind of respect you yes. know and the way it was broken down to me was it was like you see all of these people who have been plucked out of this hopeless state of mind and body and look at you were plucked out of this hopeless state of mind and body everything you tried didn't work right and that at least some the at least some level of respect when referring to your higher power right and so that kind of kept that that thought in my head Although it didn't tr- start as a positive, it kind of started as a like, what the hell? Um, but it kind of kept me grounded. And then again, just kind of furthered my faith, so to speak, that that maybe maybe there's some truth to this, right? It, I mean, mm-hmm. it even says in the book is, you know, to listen to, you know, the religious, the religious folks. Yes. You know, there is some sort of value to what they have to say. That is true. I think uh, as well for me, when it came to finally admitting the control thing, it was, well, if I have to give control for stuff and like mm-hmm. give them credit for doing something good, I used to use that excuse, well, if they did something bad, well, I have somebody to blame now, right. not blame myself. So that was the caveat for me was, sure. well, shit, I can blame somebody else and get away with stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was letting go of that prejudice, making kind of comedic and um, of it. And then 
when I started praying, I, I kind of realized how my days started going better. Right. When I don't pray and just start off my day in a, a good fashion, how much worse my days got or my thoughts right. would get in the way of like being pissed off at a coworker, which is usual for every single person that is probably listening to this. We get pissed off at people during Absolutely. our day with road rage, especially. So, <laughs> especially in Texas. Yes. Yeah. Texas drivers are not the best, especially Dallas. Um, sorry, Dallas. But, um, but yeah, the, the conscious contract for me is super, super important. Meditation as well. I know I kind of fall off the meditation wagon quite often just to kind of set aside more than five minutes a day. But when I do keep that meditation in contact and just take a quick breath and just kind of exhale all the negative energy out of me, pray, meditate, it just clears your head and it gets rid of all that negative energy that you were harboring for the, from the day before or that evening um, and just gets rid of it. That's why I like meditating in the morning. I used to be a really uh, angry morning person. Not wanting to get up, set 50 alarms. You know, I'm finding now that it's not really about that. Like, I get my day started out on the right foot 80% of the time now, which is a huge improvement from what it was before. Um, and a lot, and I owe a lot of that to being regimented with, um, in the beginning, being regimented with prayer meditation nightly. And then when I wake up, it just sets, it puts your mind at ease. It puts you in the right mental space to continue on with your day, right? We don't, I mean, because we don't know what's going to happen throughout the day. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we should be fearful or stressed out or, you know, whatever throughout the day. But it does, it, it puts us in, I feel it puts me in a better um, headspace to tackle whatever situations may come. Yes, because we all know the situations will come. <laughs> yes. So uh, Sean and I are kind of working backwards. We started with 12 of service to others. Uh, now we're at 11. So let's move backwards one more, get to, get it to step 10, about promptly admitting your wrongdoings. I mean, of course, through step four, we write down our resentments, our wrongdoings and misconducts. And we sometimes people will get through those quickly. Others take some time, especially with certain individuals. So how do you, as somebody that's like, well, I can do that next month or next week, make a mistake and able to just immediately admit that. I mean, what was your first in the wrongdoing be- that you had to well, promptly admit? Uh, I, I don't know, honestly. I don't know what my first one was, or the second, or the third, or the fourth, or so on. But when talking about step 10, step 10 is something that, that, just, that doesn't go away, right? Step 10 is something that I, even to this day, have to work through and and be in a mindset to where I can recognize where I'm being living in fear, where I'm being selfish, where I'm, you know, where I'm getting getting a new resentment. Um, I have to constantly be aware of those things. And the only way that I'm able to be aware of those things is to, again, be spiritually and mentally fit as a human being. Um, because when I start to fall back into the whole, you know, negative headspace that we just talked about, you know, I don't recognize resentments. I hold on to things. I live in fear. I worry about things. And that is a direct result of not having a conscious contact. So I don't necessarily say that I could remember what the first one was. I'm pretty sure it had to do with a lady at QT. Um, but what I will say is that now recognizing or at least being able to recognize and think about the things that I say before I say them uh, is a huge stepping stone in the right direction, at least, I think. Yes, and I mean, for those who don't know, QT is a gas station, and when people need their nicotine, a bitch, you better get out the way. Right. Um, so I keep hearing, even through any of these steps that we're talking about, you keep mentioning the word fear. 
Sure. Um, and I, I want to bring up Anthony. Um, he has stated probably mm. the, one of the most profound things about fear that I've heard. And it's fear is in the future. Fear is not in the present. So if you live in fear, you are predicting the future. And if you're predicting the future, you're playing God, not relying on God. Right. And that quote I heard, I think about two weeks ago now, that has been like on full repeat in my head. Absolutely. I mean, I told the reader, or the listeners, I said, when I first started the first episode, I fear of failure, fear of right. not being good enough for everybody to even want to even listen to me talk. So again, I'm, I'm living in the future without even yeah. posting any of these episodes. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I was also there for that. And that, again, for me, has also been on repeat in my mind. Um, going through a lot of things at work right now, and I actually kind of use that to some of my employees today, actually, because when, and, and I have to recognize this as well, as I, I, I do have a lot of fears, but that's me not relying on God and not relying that, relying on the fact that, and knowing that whatever's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen. Whatever's going to mm-hmm. happen next year, 10 years, five years, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen whether I like it or not. Yes. You know, I mean, I could walk out of this room, go hit by a bus. There is no tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And the only good thing is, like, is what it, am I to be afraid of? Right? <laughs> no, for sure. And I think as long as we keep that conscious contact and know that we're in the hands of God and, and that he has control, we don't need to worry about what happens in 10 years because sure. we know that it's going to be in God's plan. Um, but promptly admitting my wrongs, I think, for me, it was admitting them to myself because it was a lot of road rage. <laughs> yes. Um, a ton of road rage. Um, and my coworker that is 14, almost 14 years sober told me he's like the best way for him to get over it was that person that just cut you off. Um, they, you don't know if that person has a mom in the hospital about to die, if that person has a baby on the way and is trying to get there to see his child be born. So you don't know what they're going through. All you know is what you're going through. So Absolutely. the thing is, you can't control those drivers on that road. So as long as you control yourself and not allow the ride to work ruin your entire day, yeah. and just the moment they cut you off, that mm. will be done, or just be like, don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, put on some Lady Gaga music or some death metal or some Mozart, like whatever your jam is, because Sean and I will never agree in music taste, so I'll <laughs> say whatever your jam is, just jam out to it. Um, I know my, I, I can actually remember my first promptly admitted. Oh, yes. It was at work. I was, of course, lack of sleep. I only get about five hours of sleep a night right now. And my coworker says something. I just snapped off on him, pretty much telling him he didn't know what the F he was talking about. So on and so forth. Even though promptly was 24 hours later, <laughs> that's, hey, I would never normally do, admit anything in my wrongdoings. Yeah, for me it was. <laughs> a week would have been prompt. But the next day I went and apologized and just said, hey, it won't happen again. Like, there's no excuse for being an asshole. Right. So, even saying I'm sorry really doesn't make it correct, but just letting them know it's not going to happen again moving forward in the future, I think allows that person to understand that you were truly, uh, not empathetic, but truly sorry for what you did. Right. So, so I know that um, sponsorship has been kind of super important to your program and assisted you. I mean, you've always told me with working with your sponsee that helping that person stay sober helps you stay sober. And so, I mean, how does that like kind of back and forth with that sponsee? So when I first became a sponsor, so let me talk about that journey in and of itself. When my sponsor told me, I'll never forget this. 
when my sponsor told me, he was like, I want to, I want to see you start working with others now. And I'm like, uh, well, I do work with others every day. It's called a job. And he's like, no, 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 no. And right. <laughs> um, but no, he again, broke it down for me in exactly what you just said. And he told me that working with you helps me stay sober. Um, and when that, and that was my sponsor telling me that he said, working with you it being me helps me stay sober. And I was like, that's that's pretty profound and now that i work with others and sponsor others i see how their joy their happiness seeing them in their program is almost like reworking the steps for me in a way and it kind of rejuvenates my program as well to see them doing better because i remember what it was like going out back you know back in the day whatever you want to call it um, I remember what it was like, and if if anything that I do or say can help somebody else, then I am fulfilling my purpose on this earth, I believe. And the journey to become a sponsor, I think, and the way that the how I got my first successful sponsee was a very, I feel like, thump in the head experience. And I'll explain that. You know, I had two guys that I was kind of casually on and off working with in the beginning when I first became a sponsor. And it was very frustrating on my end because I wanted them to be as successful as my sponsor or as me or as the other members of the group. And I wanted them to have, you know, what we had. You know, they said they were willing to go to any lengths. And just to kind of, to kind of see that and then them kind of not do what I was telling them to do or suggesting them to do um, was kind of disheartening at first. And then after going through all 12 steps with, um, officially with my first uh, full term, I guess you could call it, um, sponsee. See your baby sponsee, full term. Yes, so. <laughs> baby sponsee, that's right. Um, that has added a level of, um, I, since you like magic, magicalness, I guess you could say. To, of course, unicorns are magic. That's right, to my program, because I honestly feel that I'm doing some good in on this earth rather than just living my life to take 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 and suck out of the value stream of life yeah so i know you've discussed with me like how your sponsor started the the steps with you that he was mm -hmm. like if you want want to have willing to go to any length he was dead set just like chris are mad dogs mm -hmm. they are super set on getting through the steps quickly because yes. the moment you get like complacent on any of the steps you you start to backtrack go backwards yeah. so do you feel that with your first sponsees that the reason that maybe the success wasn't there, were you trying to control the program as you, your program was done quickly and they weren't doing it as fast or do you just feel that it was other things that took them out? Um, it's a full, well, first off, it's not really my place to say why it didn't work out. One of them I still have contact with and who still is sober just logistically. It awesome. wasn't working. It is awesome. It's, it's very awesome. I still keep contact with them. It's just, they didn't, you know, it's not my place to force anything upon them, right? Um, and it's it's really cool to see that that person is still remaining sober, and we still do keep in contact. the 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 frustrating part, I guess, and I th where I think where your question was was headed. Um, sorry to kind of go off topic, but um, I I don't think that it was any particular reason or something that I did. I mean, obviously I consulted with my sponsor after and he kind of gave me some pointers, right? Of course. You know, he, he always says, you know, we are fishers of men. 
which didn't really make sense to me. And he kind of, you know, he, he's very gung ho about it. And I love that about him. And, and that's, you know, that's why I'm sitting here today because he was like that. And it worked for me, you know, and he did tell me that it, what works for you and I isn't going to work for everybody, but we as humans have to recognize that. Yeah, that is very true. I know that the sponsor-sponsee relationship is a very unique relationship. Absolutely. Some it's strictly business and sobriety. Some develop more into friendships. And I know sponsors and sponsees kind of get fired or just find out that their personalities just in the way they want to work their own program isn't going to mesh. So I think that maybe that's what happened with yours. It's just the fact of that that relationship and dynamic wasn't suitable for that relationship. Mm -hmm. But that's why you stay in contact because you actually had a friendship beyond it. I know when I got my sponsor, like I, like I said in a previous episode, I put him on like a trial basis, <laughs> which he was like, what do you, who do you think you are? Like type of thing. But for me, it benefited me because it allowed him to know that I was serious about the program to say, hey, I'm not against sure. or firing you essentially as my sponsor, because if it's not, if we're not going to work like in in tandem with each other, why even go across this program with you? So especially with me being um, a a part of the LGBT community and that person being straight, like I was in fear of that rejection Mm -hmm. and everything. And that's actually what like kind of was going to lead to my next question. Um, You said the word frustration. So being a sponsor, what has been the biggest frustration for you? I would say the biggest frustration for me, and I thought about this um, earlier when you had asked me, but I think my biggest frustration is has actually just been logistical challenges with doing step work, um, getting to and from where we're you know where we're gonna meet up and do this or that, and um, that was very evident with one of my first uh, one of my first guys was that logistically he just lived too far and it was a drive this and that, and you know I was willing to go there, he was willing to come here and and all this stuff. Um, and then he just kind of fell off the map. So that was really frustrating. And then I would just say all around logistically, um, logistical challenges. But then again, I have to keep reminding myself, like I said, I was willing to go to any lengths. The book has very specific, you know, not instructions, but very specific, a very specific outline on how to be a sponsor. Yeah. I believe that's chapter seven. Working with others. Yeah. Working with others. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the speakers that I listen to, and I specifically listen to for how to be a better sponsor, um, like I was willing to go to any length, you know, I can't um, say no, or I can't put my sponsee, if I, if I ask you, if I ask to be your sponsor, like, or I can't put you in a position to where you could potentially fail, like that's me like casting doubt or shade upon what um, upon your program and that's not fair to you somebody who's reached out and said hey can you be my sponsor right yeah no i know because i know logistics for me as well kind of was difficult um just because like me i'm in school i work like i had finals there's so many other things in, in life that external problems that kind of happen and i think that's when you and your sponsor just communication rather than dropping off if you just tell your sponsor, hey, this is what I'm going through. I can't meet this week, but we'll mm-hmm. just keep texting. Right. I mean, again, poop and pray, poop and text. Like, Absolutely. It, it doesn't take long to let your sponsor know that you're doing okay and maintaining sobriety. And mm-hmm. that after what you deal with, you can come back to each other. Um, so, yeah, I can see logistics being a huge problem. Um, and I know that you're a family man. Yes. So how 
have you been able to take time, being a family man, take time to make sure you focus on your sobriety? Uh, the fact that I wouldn't have a family life or I wouldn't have what I have today, um, even though I'm still working through things, I wouldn't have any of that if I was still drinking. Mm. I would not have a fraction of what God has blessed me with if I was if I was still drinking. So making time for the family um, is only possible because of my sobriety. Yeah, no, I, I get that because we, now that you're sober, you actually have more time because you're not Absolutely. focused on drinking. Um, I would like to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Um, so I, I would like to talk about that. So the, I, I find myself nowadays doing things that I would have, I guess, would have never done in the past, you know, like learning new things about my kids, learning new things about, you know, my spouse, um, doing things with them that even not even just with the family, but doing things as a person that I wouldn't have done before because I was in a, a hopeless state of mind and body. No, I, I, <laughs> I get that. I mean, same. I mean, you're a family man. I'm a student. I don't have any partners. So, I mean, if, if you're looking, my inbox is open. <laughs> hit me up in the DMs. But I know for me, like, even though school is incredibly important, I have to make sure I set aside major, like, precedence to being sober because without being sober, I can't, like, maintain education. Right. I mean, the industry I work in is 70% of the substance abuse rate because what we see every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a part of that statistic, especially right. I'm drinking heavily before that, let right. alone during the job. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure, okay, get your shit together now. But, I mean, what else? Is there anything else you want to touch on? Oh, absolutely. So I, I would also say that this is um, the program of recovery. You know, I'm not going to shy away from the whole God thing. Um, and, and, and I'm not, and I don't set out to offend anybody, but I will say that the only way that any of this is possible with the family, with the job, with the car, the girl, the whatever, you know, whatever, or the boy, you know, the, whatever you want to call it, you know, that is only made possible by your higher power, by God, you know? Um, and so I was going to tie this all together. I promise. Um, okay. so yeah, again, be, having family time, like that's a blessing, you know, having time to focus on my recovery, that's a blessing. Having time to, you know, do this with you, that's a blessing. Yeah. You know, that's all made possible because I'm, I am continuing to put myself back to the whole conscious contact thing in a, um, a frame of mind and spiritual connectedness to where I'm not, um, destructive, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, what constructive does that make sense yeah i mean you're constructing <laughs> putting things together and and yeah. hoping that sharing your experiences can resonate with anybody i mean mm -hmm. just resonate with one person sure. and and showing that it is possible to get through it and through the steps and it's super important so what i do want to ask is i'm i'm assuming because you're a family man that you do identify as straight correct i do yes that is okay okay so i mean i assumed but um my thing is, what do you have to say to any LGBTQ plus person that is wanting to go into these rooms, seek out help, but being a heterocentric kind of world, mm -hmm. like, what do you say to the fear, the fear of judgment of them going to the rooms that's stopping them? Like, what do you have to say to these people? Um, first off, I would say is that, I mean, fears are normal. Everybody has fears. Um, the next thing that I would say is definitely is, from from my perspective, is that... 
this program, these programs, and even myself just as a human being, it, I mean, I'm a very inclusive person. This is a very inclusive program. You know, God, the way I look at it is God is not exclusive. You know, Correct. you don't you don't have a, a set of criteria that you have to meet because, we again, we're all God's children, right? You know, a tw this 12-step program is not, you know, all, you know, a good old boys club, right? <laughs> it's for everybody and anybody. And the fear, you know, that like kind of what you brought up the LGBTQ, uh, IA plus community, um, everybody is welcome. You know, for me personally, in my beliefs, my opinions is I don't believe that any type of person, no matter, you know, gay, straight, whatever, um, I don't think there's any reason to not include them just because of that you know like yeah like alcohol doesn't discriminate right that's very I mean, true we i mean i got all my chips on that color right <laughs> you all got all your chips on that color i mean there, there's no the the destructiveness of of the disease and, and um how the fellowship is i would say it's very inclusive um we don't i don't um want to, anybody to feel like this isn't the place for them because God doesn't um, make any which person, I guess, feel that he is not for them, whatever. You know, that's, it, it's, again, God is very inclusive. God is inclusive, right? Not yeah. exclusive, right? Exactly. The 12-step programs are inclusive, not exclusive. You yeah. know, like and a yacht club, that's exclusive, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not a billionaire. I don't have yachts, right? Yes. That's exclusive, right? But that's very true, yeah. I, you know, as an alcoholic, I had something that... Every every other alcoholic that I come into contact with, you know, I'm not walking the same walk of life they are. That yeah, we, right. We are, I, mean, I think we're all inclusive to alcoholics. I mean, that's the thing is, do uh, you have to be a billionaire to get into a billionaire's club? Same thing with alcoholics. I mean, the same thing with the twelve step is the only reason you are going in there is because your life has become unmanageable due to alcohol, and you need help. You have an honest desire to stop drinking. Like yes. that's what we have in common. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and that's and going to these rooms. That's that's all the people care about. I mean, yeah, of absolutely. course, over time you you get to know these people and and their personal lives and stuff. And I mean, mm -hmm. if they'll disclose your sexuality, great. But the the main reason you're in these rooms is because you're struggling with alcoholism. Right. And that's the only reason that any of these people want to be able to help you is to get past that. Right. So it's like, who cares? They don't care what walk of life you came from, mm. what your history is, because they know that you're there to get better. And right. who does not want to see somebody else, their fellow, get better and succeed in sobriety? Correct. I mean, I think that's, you hit the nail right on the head. The only thing that I care about, you know, when, when referring to alcoholism is that you're getting better. You know, my fellows are getting better. I'm getting better. We all do this together. We're all a team. We're all a family, right? I mean, this this program isn't for everybody, right? Not everybody, you know, not but not everybody is an alcoholic as well, right? That is true. So yes. it doesn't really, I mean, again, like I said before, alcohol doesn't discriminate, gay, straight, um, lesbian, whatever other, you know, sorry for being uneducated, but whatever other, you know, again. Q, trans, yes, right, intersex, yeah, of uh, course. Walk of life that you have, it does not matter because we all have the same, like Common goal. Right, exactly. Which yeah. is to get better, be sober, to be a better human being and do God's work, right? Exactly. Well, I want to th thank you very much, Sean, for coming on here, especially letting people know that don't don't be afraid to step into these rooms, like no matter where you come from or what walk of life you have, because we're all here to help each other. Sure. Um, again, my name is Holden, and I am an alcoholic. Thank you for joining us, and thank you again, Sean. You're welcome. My name is Sean, and I am an alcoholic. Thank all you. Right. All right. I hope you have a wonderful night. 
Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own Sober Owned Shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober owned. And remember everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Thank you.